Hello, welcome to the Seeking Pearls podcast. My name is Rebecca Meitinger. It is wonderful to be here with you today. Today we are in our eighth episode on the Apostle Paul series, which is Paul, his journeys, his letters, his Jesus, with a very strong emphasis on his Jesus, getting to know his Jesus through his travels as recorded in the book of Acts and through snippets of his letters that we are reading as we go through his journeys as they fit in. More than anything else, as we study the Apostle Paul, we are studying the Lord Jesus who revealed himself to Paul through unique revelation for Paul to then communicate through preaching, traveling, and writing to the rest of the world. And we have a great deal of Paul's writing in the New Testament, all pointing us to the Lord Jesus Christ and who he is, who in uh, Colossians, Paul tells us that Jesus is actually the mystery of God held secret for ages past. But now that Jesus has been revealed as the mystery of God himself and in, in Jesus, in Jesus Christ, are all of the treasures of wisdom and knowledge for us to seek out and to come to know all of the wisdom and knowledge of God as we get to know the Lord Jesus Christ. And so that is our aim as we study the Apostle Paul. Our aim is to learn about Jesus, to, to be drawn closer to Jesus. Just as I had pulled out before we even began this series, I had pulled out a couple of theme verses for us to really center ourselves on. One of those is from Philippians chapter 3, verse 10. And in Philippians chapter 3, Paul is writing about his about the way in which he had come to see all of his past as nothing, about everything that had been considered gain in the past. He had come to understand it as nothing in comparison with knowing Christ Jesus. And this, he writes this letter of Philippians in about 62 AD when he has walked with Jesus for quite a long time, very, very closely, for about 30 years. And he still writes in verse 10, I want to know Christ. Yes, to know the power of his resurrection and the participation of his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, and so somehow attaining to the resurrection of the dead. Just this beautiful phrase, I want to know Christ. I want to know everything about him. I want to know him in his resurrection and in the power of the resurrection. And I want to know him in his suffering. I want to become like him in his suffering. I want to participate in his suffering, which the Apostle Paul did to a great extent in his life. He wants to know Christ, and that is our aim as well. Before we even begin today, I also want us to look at the second verse that I had chose chosen as a theme verse for this series and that is Acts chapter 20 verse 24. Paul is testifying to his Jewish brothers and sisters and he says to them, however, I consider my life worth nothing to me. My only aim, my only aim is to finish the race and complete the task that the Lord Jesus has given to me the task of testifying to the good news of God's grace. Paul, all Paul wanted 
was to testify to the good news of the grace of God with his every single breath, down to his last dying breath. All he wanted to do was to testify to the goodness of the Lord Jesus Christ, no matter where he went, no matter what took him there. This is very significant to me. It has been a very, very tender week in Fargo, a very somber week in my own house. The city of Fargo has undergone massive tragedy this week, just very significant, devastating tragedy in our own city this week in more than one way. And uh, it's just been very somber uh, at our house. Uh, being married to an emergency worker is challenging in many ways and times of tragedy are very tender and close to the heart and just a reminder a constant reminder that we live in a world just so full of suffering so full of suffering and tragedy and evil and this is the same world that the apostle paul lived in so many things are different but also so many things are the same and in the midst of a world of suffering paul was on the march to preach the hope of the gospel. That is what he did. He knew that the world was suffering. He knew the presence of evil. He knew the darkness of the world. And he also knew the great hope of the glory of God, the great hope of the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ who has conquered death forever and ever. Death was swallowed up in victory through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And Paul marched onward every single day in the midst of suffering, in the midst of tragedy. He marched onward with the hope of the gospel because we live in a world that is devastatingly in need of hope. Devastatingly in need of hope. So much suffering. And we have the gospel, we have the good news of the Lord Jesus Christ that death will be no more and crime will be no more and sin will be no more and that one day he will return and he will make all things right. Behold, I am coming soon. He is going to make all things new. Behold, I am making all things new. Those are promises from Jesus from the book of Revelation. And we have this promise, the Apostle Paul had this promise, and he marched onward into the world with the gospel. And as we study today, as he marches through what is now Greece, modern day Greece, as he marches onward through Greece today, we are going to join with him knowing that we have the hope of the gospel as well. We have the hope of the gospel as well. And we have a world that is desperate for it as well. So let us take cues from the Apostle Paul today. All right, so today we're going to be in Acts chapter 17, but before we start there, we're actually going to jump into Philippians for a little bit because last week when Acts chapter 16 ended, last week Paul was just leaving Philippi. He had just spent maybe a couple weeks in Philippi, kind of a short amount of time, but during that short amount of time, Lydia the Philippian jailer, a young girl who had been demon-possessed, and many others, that's all we know, many others, had come to faith in Christ, and they had started a church there in Lydia's house, and they had prayed and supported Paul and Silas as they went through suffering and having been flogged. 
And they were encouraging them. They were loving on them. And then Paul and Silas leave. And Timothy and Luke are with them as well. And they, they leave Philippi. We don't have much information after that about Paul's communication with the city of Philippi until about 12 years later in AD 62 when Paul is in prison in Rome and he writes a letter to the Philippian church. Now, 12 years have passed because this second missionary journey begins in about 50 AD. And so about 12 years pass in between when we see Paul beginning the church in Philippi and when we have Paul write them his first letter. So a long time is passing. We don't know if there was communication prior to that. We don't have any record of that. But 12 years later, when he is writing them this letter, which is Philippians in our Bibles, it is very, very clear how much he loves them. And so even though he had to flee Philippi after being flogged and kind of get get out of Dodge, he has a very, very dear and precious place for this Philippian church in his heart. If you if you were to look in my Bible at the letter of Philippians, you would see that the pages are thinner than any of the other pages in my Bible. They are highlighted and written all over the place, and they're, they're rather yellow compared to the rest of the pages in my Bible because of all the oils from my fingers. I have spent a lot of time in Philippians. It's very close to my heart. And this church was just so dear to Paul. His words of love toward them are very beautiful. And so we're going to start by seeing how much he loves this church in Philippi by just looking at a couple things he says to them. So I'm going to start looking at Philippians chapter 1, starting in verse 3. He says to them, I thank my God every time I remember you. In all of my prayers, for all of you, I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now, now being 62 AD, and that first day being what we read last week in Acts 16 when Paul met Lydia down by the river. He's just praising God for the partnership that they have been in the gospel from that very first day until now, 12 years later. Being confident of this, verse 6, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Jesus Christ. It is right for me to feel this way about you, since I have you in my heart. And whether I am in chains or defending and confirming the gospel, all of you share in God's grace with me. God can testify how I long for you with the affection of Christ Jesus. He longs for them with the affection that Jesus has. He loves this church in Philippi so dearly. We get a little more glimpse of this church in Philippi. So again, this is 12 years later, and we learn that they are still supporting his ministry. Now that's going to come up a little bit in our journey today. We're going to see how they are supporting him as he's in Thessalonica and Corinth. And we see that they're still supporting him financially 12 years later. Now remember, Lydia was a seller of purple cloth, probably a quite wealthy woman. So a lot of this financial sponsorship might come from Lydia herself. But other people in Philippi as well are financially, they have been financial partners with Paul apparently for at least 12 years. 
And in uh, chapter two of Philippians, he writes about one of their own brothers, a Philippian brother named Epaphroditus. And he says this in verse 25. I think it's necessary to send back to you Epaphroditus, my brother, my co-worker and fellow soldier, who is also your messenger, whom you sent to me to take care of my needs. He longs for all of you, and he is distressed that you heard he was ill. Indeed, he was ill, and he almost died, but God had mercy on him, and not only on him, but also on me, to spare me sorrow upon sorrow. Therefore, I am all the more eager to send him back to you, so that when you see him again, you might be glad, and I will have less anxiety. It's just so beautiful. Paul loves this church so much. He is in prison. He has very few people in prison with him. and he, But one of the people he has with him right now is Epaphroditus, who apparently spent longer with Paul, staying at his house in Rome, uh, maybe than he intended because he got ill, and he ended up staying there. But he was from Philippi, and he had traveled to Rome, which is very far, <laughs> very far by ship he would have had to go. And it probably was a very long journey, but he the reason he did it is to bring money to Paul, to support Paul. He was renting his own house in Rome, but then how, did, how does he pay all the bills to rent the house for two years while he's in house prison? Well, he has churches who are sponsoring him, one of those churches being Philippi. And so the Philippians are sponsoring him. They send Epaphroditus with some money. Epaphroditus gets sick and spends extra time with Paul. And Paul is so concerned about this church in Philippi that he loves so dearly that he's like, I need to send Epaphroditus back to you guys because I just want you to know that he's okay and I want him to come and encourage your hearts. Thank you so much for sending the money. You are my dear friends. I love you. I hold you in my heart. I mean, he's just so, so endeared by these friends in Philippi that we saw him meet last week. Well, he has to get out of Philippi after he gets flogged. And he and his companions in in chapter 17 of Acts are going to travel about 100 miles over land from Philippi to Thessalonica. So Thessalonica is going to be our next stop. So I'm going to start reading at Acts chapter 17, verse 1. When Paul and his companions had passed through Amphipolis and Apollonia, they came to Thessalonica, where there was a Jewish synagogue. As was his custom, Paul went into the synagogue, and on three Sabbath days he, he reasoned with them about the scriptures, explaining and proving that the Messiah had to suffer and rise from the dead. This Jesus I am proclaiming to you is the Messiah, he said. Some of the Jews were persuaded and joined Paul and Silas, as did a large number of the God-fearing Greeks and quite a few prominent women. All right, I'm going to pause there for just a moment. So he's in Thessalonica now. We know that he spends at least three Sabbaths, so three weeks, reasoning with the Jews in the synagogue. He always starts in the synagogue, almost always, if there is one. Apparently there wasn't a synagogue in Amphipolis and Apollonia, so he passes through them and comes to Thessalonica. He starts in the synagogue. Now what's interesting is it says that using the scriptures, which that would be the Old Testament, the Jewish the, the Jewish scriptures is our Old Testament. 
using the scriptures, he explains and proves through the Old Testament, through the prophets, through what is written by Moses in the first five books, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy, as well as the prophets, and also the Psalms. There's quite a few Psalms that also are prophetic about the coming Messiah. So using the scriptures, he explains and proves that the Messiah that the Jews had been waiting for had to suffer, be crucified, and had to rise from the dead. So he finds, because of the revelation time that Jesus showed him, probably in Arabia, so if you have been tracking along through the whole series, you know that he went to Arabia for probably up to three years, and during that time it seems that Jesus taught him massive amounts of theology, and probably also that is where Jesus revealed to Paul the mysteries of the Old Testament that point to him as Messiah. And he then goes into the synagogues and he teaches all of this. and. Throughout the book of Acts, the word proving is there, that he is proving that Jesus is the Messiah using the Old Testament. So for three weeks, he spends time primarily in the synagogues. We don't think he left after that. It seems that he spent more time there. One of the reasons is because going back to this letter that he wrote to the Philippians, when he's telling them how grateful he is for their financial support, he says to them in chapter 4, he says, chapter 4, verse 14, he says, It was good of you to share in my troubles. Moreover, as you Philippians know, in the early days of your acquaintance with with the gospel, when I set out from Macedonia, when I left Philippi, not one church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving except you, For even when I was in Thessalonica, you sent me aid more than once when I was in need. So since they were able to send financial aid more than once when Paul was in need in Thessalonica, and it's a 100-mile journey between Philippi and Thessalonica, chances are he spent more than three weeks in Thessalonica. He probably spent some time there. All right, another thing I want to point out from those first few verses is this is not the first time it has happened several times when they're talking about a new church being begun in a in a community that luke the author of acts points out that prominent women came to faith in jesus so here it says a large number of god-fearing greeks those would be non-jews who worship the one true god the god of the jews And then, so it says, a large number of God-fearing Greeks and quite a few prominent women. And this is not the first time that we have seen that phrase. The reason I want to point that out is because I don't want to get very much into this because that's a whole nother can of worms. But there is what I would believe a very strong misunderstanding about the Apostle Paul, that he did not hold women in a high view. And I disagree very, very passionately with that, which is why I'm going to try not to get on that topic right now. That'd be a really great podcast for another time. But we see the Apostle Paul working with women all the time. Remember, the the church that he started in Philippi met at Lydia's house. She would have been the hostess. I'm not saying the pastor. I don't know if she pastored that church after Paul left, but she certainly was the hostess of that home church. 
and Paul held women in very high regard, and he worked with them in the gospel as co-laborers. He actually calls them co-laborers throughout his letters, except for a couple of sentences that are confusing in a couple of his letters. It seems that he held women to the exact same level of respect and level of partnership as he held men. There's a couple sentences and a couple letters that throw confusion to the conversation. That it this is not the time for that. But by and large, overwhelmingly so, Paul saw women as equal partners in the gospel. And I just wanted to point that out because verse 4 mentions quite a few prominent women. (laughs) All right, verse 5 of chapter 17. But other Jews were jealous, so they rounded up some bad characters from the marketplace, and they formed a mob, and they started a riot in the city. They rushed to Jason's house in search of Paul and Silas in order to bring them to the crowd. But when they couldn't find them, they dragged Jason and some other believers before the city officials, shouting, These men who have caused trouble all over the world have now come here, and Jason has welcomed them into his house. They are all defying Caesar's decrees, saying that there is another king, one called Jesus. When they heard this, the crowd and the city officials were thrown into turmoil, Then they made Jason and the others post bond, and they let them go. As soon as it was night, the believers sent Paul and Silas away to Berea. On arriving there, they went to the Jewish synagogue. Okay, so Berea is a pretty close trip from Thessalonica to Berea. It's about 45 miles. So it would have been maybe just like a couple days journey from Thessalonica to Berea. We don't know how long after Paul and Silas spent those three weeks on the Thessalonican synagogues. We don't know how long they spent focusing on the Gentiles in Thessalonica. But at some point, this mob started up and they had to get out of town. And so they go to Berea. Verse 11. Now, the Berean Jews were of more noble character than those in Thessalonica. I just love that. You can see Luke just... He's so frustrated at what happened and the mob mentality that occurred in Thessalonica. And he just says the the Bereans were of much more noble character. For they received the message with great eagerness and they examined the scriptures every day to see if what Paul said was true. So the Bereans, Paul would teach from the Old Testament exactly like he did everywhere he went, proving that Jesus was the Messiah and proving that the Messiah, in fact, had to be crucified and, in fact, had to raise from the dead. And then the Bereans would study the scriptures and see if what Paul was saying was true. Now, apparently, they found out that, yes, it is true because verse 12 tells us, as a result, many of them believed. That would be the Jews. Many of them believed, as did also a number of prominent Greek women. There we go. Prominent Greek women and many Greek men. So many of the Bereans agreed and believed in the message that Paul was teaching. However, then there's problems and the problems come from Thessalonica. Verse 13, but when the Jews in Thessalonica learned that Paul was preaching the word of God at Berea, some of them went up there too, agitating the crowds and stirring them up. 
The believers immediately sent Paul to the coast, but Silas and Timothy stayed at Berea. Those who escorted Paul brought him to Athens and then left with instructions for Silas and Timothy to join him as soon as possible. Okay, so Berea is actually really, it's on the coast. So when it says they brought him to the coast, they must have brought him to a port or something. And they got him on a ship and he sailed, he must have sailed to Athens. Athens is quite a far way south. Both Berea and Athens are on the very eastern side of present day Greece. And so he could have gone by land, but since it says they brought him to the coast, it seems like he probably sailed through the Aegean Sea there. So he could sail along the the coastline of Greece, the east coastline of Greece, through the Aegean Sea from Berea south down to Athens. I would guess that is the way that he went. And they left Silas and Timothy in Berea because it seems like he had been there a fairly short time and they wanted to continue building that church, but they wanted to get Paul away safely. And, and so Silas and Timothy stayed. But when the men who sailed with Paul to Athens got him to Athens safely, he sent them home with a message, please send Silas and Timothy as soon as it's safe for them to come here. Now, the text does not tell us, but I am going to go ahead and assume that Luke was with Paul. Remember, I believe that Luke actually began traveling and kept traveling with Paul as his personal physician. Paul went through a ton of physical suffering and very likely needed a personal physician with him. Also, we know, I think we've talked about this before, that Paul battled with something he called his thorn in the flesh. We don't know what it was. One of the leading guesses is that it was a recurrence of malaria. And we've talked before, too, about how he maybe contracted malaria when he first went into Galatia. And so it's possible that that Paul kept Luke with him as his personal physician. So I think Luke is more than likely in Athens with Paul here, but the text does not tell tell us, so we can't be certain. All right, we are going to read through his time in Athens, which seems to be much longer than it is in the book of Acts. And the reason that it seems so is we get a few clues from his letters that he wrote later on about his time in Athens and about Timothy and Silas's coming and going from Athens. And so it's going to seem like he was there only a short time as we read the text. But when when we bring in clues from the letters, it seems like he must have been there a little bit longer. And we just have like a little snippet of it in the book of Acts. All right, so chapter 17, verse 16. While Paul was waiting for them, waiting for Timothy and Silas, In Athens, he was greatly distressed to see that the city was full of idols. So he reasoned in the synagogue with Jews and God-fearing Greeks, as well as those in the marketplace day by day, with those who happened to be there. A group of Epicurean and Stoic philosophers began to debate with him. Some of them asked, what is this babbler trying to say? Others remarked, He seems to be advocating for foreign gods. They said this because Paul was preaching the good news about Jesus 
and the resurrection. Okay, so who are the Epicureans and the Stoics? The Epicureans, they're, they're two different bodies of philosophers. Athens was very, very famous for its different philosophers uh, throughout the ancient world. And Epicureans followed a man named Epicurus, <laughs> who said that the chief end of man was pleasure. Basically, if it feels good, do it. So I think we can probably relate to that <laughs> culturally. And then the Stoics followed a man named Zeno, and they would have been kind of the opposite. So very little pleasure in life, very Stoic. <laughs> All right, now here's something interesting about Athens that I find really interesting. Most of the famous architecture that we can still see when we go to Athens was already considered ancient when Paul went there 2,000 years ago. Maybe not ancient, but very, very old. Most of the architecture of Athens was built about 500 years, even before Paul got there. And so when he got there walking around the city, this just blows my mind. When the Apostle Paul is walking around the city of Athens, he was walking around architecture that is older than anything that we have in the U.S. at all. That blows my mind. <laughs> so there's just a little bit of perspective for you. All right, so he is talking to the Epicureans and the Stoics, and he's teaching them about Jesus and the resurrection. Verse 19 of chapter 17. They took him and they brought him to a meeting of the Areopagus, that is the ruling council in Athens. And they said to him, may we know what this new teaching is that you're presenting? You are bringing some strange ideas to our ears, and we'd like to know what they mean. All the Athenians and the foreigners who lived there spent their time doing nothing but talking about and listening to the latest ideas. I love that verse. It's in parentheses, and it's like Luke, the author of Acts, just wanted us to know this little tidbit. It sounds like it annoyed him a little bit, right? <laughs> Remember, he's a physician. He's a doer. Also, he is traveling around the world with Paul, mostly by foot, preaching the gospel, working extraordinarily hard, and he's like... Everybody in Athens does nothing except talk about and listen to ideas. <laughs> Verse 22, Paul stood up in the meeting of the Areopagus and he said, People of Athens, I see that in every way you are very religious. For as I walk around and look carefully at your objects of worship, I even found an altar with this inscription, To an unknown God. So you are ignorant of the very thing you worship. And this is what I am going to proclaim to you. So this is so interesting. The city is full of temples and idols built to Greek and Roman gods. There's just a ton of idol worship going on. And, and one of the altars is to an unknown god. And that's so interesting because it's like, it's like they know there's another god out there that we've missed. We don't know who he is. So let us just make another altar to the unknown god. And Paul sees that and he's like, that's my in. That's what I, that's how I can reach them. He uses their own culture to reach their hearts. And then in verse 24, he, he says, The God who made the world and everything in it is the Lord of heaven and earth, and he does not live in temples built by human hands. Athens was full of temples made by human hands. Up on the Acropolis, which is the higher 
the hill, the higher hill part of the town, there's the Parthenon, which was a temple built to false gods. And so these temples built to other gods are all over the city. And he wants them to know, look, the God who created heaven and earth does not live in temples built by human hands. Verse 25. And he's not served by human hands as if he needed anything. Rather, he himself gives everyone life and breath and everything else. From one man he made all the nations, that they should inhabit the whole earth. And he marked out their boundaries and their appointed times in history. God did this so that they would seek him and perhaps reach out for him and find him, though he's not far from any of us. For in him we live and move and have our being. As some of your own poets have said, we are his offspring. Now, here's something important. If you were reading this out of your own Bible, you would notice in verse 28 that there are quotation marks around, for in him we live and move and have our being. Paul is quoting one of their own poets, Epimenides, and then in the later in the verse, so when he says, for in him we live and move and have our being, he's, cre- he's quoting one of their Greek poets. And then later in the verse, as some of your own poets have said, we are his offspring. That is Stoic philosopher who said that. And what he's saying is what the, what the philosopher was referring to is that we are Zeus's offspring. But Paul is brilliant here because he's using their own culture. He's using poetry and philosophy that they are familiar with themselves. And he is interpreting it in the correct truth of the God of the world. We are his offspring. You're not Zeus's offspring. You are the one true God's offspring. In him, in the one true God, you live and you move and you have your being. He is the God of the universe. He's using their own culture to preach the gospel to them. It's completely brilliant. Verse 29, Therefore, since we are God's offspring, we should not think that the divine being is like gold or silver or stone, an image made by human design and skill. In the past, God overlooked such ignorance, but now he commands all people everywhere to repent. For he has set a day when he will judge the world with justice, by the man he has appointed. Okay, that's Jesus. Jesus is the man he has appointed. He has given proof of this to everyone by raising him from the dead. When the people heard about the resurrection of the dead, some of them sneered, but others said, we want to hear you again on this subject. After that, Paul left the council. Some of the people became followers of Paul and believed. Among them was Dionysus, a member of the Areopagus, also a woman named Damaris, and a number of others. All right, so it seems like Paul was maybe only there for a few days. He was in the synagogues teaching and dialoguing with the Jews and the God-fearing Greeks, and he was in the marketplace speaking to whomever was there, it says. And then this, this group of philosophers began to debate with him, and they brought him to the Areopagus, and he gave this great, magnificent sermon. And it seems like that might have taken a few days or a week. However, we get a few snippets from some of his letters that it really seems like he was probably there for a longer time. 
At his next stop, which is going to be Corinth, Paul spends a long time in Corinth. And during his time in Corinth, he then writes a letter back to the Thessalonians, whom he just left. And in his letter to the Thessalonians, he explains something that makes it sound like he spent more time in Athens. So in chapter 3 of 1 Thessalonians, beginning at verse 1, he says, So, when we could stand it no longer, we thought it would be best to be left by ourselves in Athens. We sent Timothy, who is our brother and co-worker in God's service in spreading the gospel of Christ, to strengthen and encourage you in your faith, so that no one would be unsettled by these trials. For you know quite well that we are destined for trials. In fact, when we were with you, when we were in Thessalonica, we kept telling you that we would be persecuted, and it turned out that way, as you well know. For this reason, when I could stand it no longer, I sent him to find out about your faith. I was afraid in that some way the tempter had been tempted you, and that our labors might have been in vain. But Timothy has just now come to us from you and has brought good news about your faith and love. He told us that you always have pleasant memories of us and that you long to see us, just as we also long to see you. Therefore, brothers and sisters, in all of our distress and persecution, we were encouraged about you because of your faith. For now we really live, since you are standing firm in the Lord. So from Athens... It seems like Paul, Silas, and Luke decided, okay, we have to send, we have to send Timothy back to Thessalonica because they were just going crazy worrying about the Thessalonians. Remember when they left Thessalonica, they had to do it, they left at night. It says in going back to before they left Thessalonica, when they came to Berea, it says as soon as it was night, the believers sent Paul and Silas away to Berea. So like they left Thessalonica in the midst of persecution and and then remember those angry Thessalonians actually came to Berea to stir up more struggle and then of course they would have gone home to Thessalonica and so of course it makes perfect sense that while Paul is in Athens preaching the gospel in Athens he is very worried about this church in Thessalonica that he had to flee in a hurry because he knows there's so many angry Jews there who are persecuting the Christians. And so it seems that Paul and Silas and Timothy and Luke are all reunited in Athens at some point. And then they send Timothy back to Thessalonica to learn about how are they doing? How are they doing? Now, in chapter 18, we're going to see Paul go to Corinth. It's very clear that Timothy does not meet Paul back in Athens, but Timothy is going to meet Paul in Corinth. And actually, we also find out that Timothy did not go alone. So when they were all worried in Athens and they sent Timothy to Thessalonica, we learn from chapter 18 that actually Silas went with him as well. So they were not sending Timothy alone. So it seems like Paul and Luke stayed in Athens for a while longer. Timothy and Silas went back to Thessalonica. And then they all met in Corinth. So we do not know how long they were in Athens. We don't know if a body of believers was really ever started in Athens. They were full of philosophy, full of idols, idol worship. A couple of people came to faith in Christ, but we don't know if 
very many came to faith in Christ in Athens. All right, chapter 18. So they're going to leave Athens. After this, Paul left Athens and went to Corinth. There he met a Jew named Aquila, a native of Pontus, who had recently come from Italy with his wife Priscilla because Claudius had ordered all the Jews to leave Rome. So Claudius was the emperor from 41 AD to 54 AD. And during that time, in about 48 AD, Claudius ordered all Jews out of Rome. There are different historical uh, evidence as to what what the cause of that was, what the purpose of that was. Clearly, the Jews would not worship him. (laughs) The Jews worshiped the one true God. And he is emperor, and the emperor of Rome was worshipped as God. In fact, as the son of God. And so that's what they called him, the son of God, the emperor of Rome. And so why keep these Jews around who won't worship you, who are stirring up all sorts of trouble? He sends them out. They probably were not stirring up trouble. But from his perspective, they were. It's racism, pure and simple is what it is. He sends them out. Priscilla and Aquila are two Jews who were in Rome at the time, and they had to leave, and they came. They apparently came to Corinth. So that probably was a couple of years before Paul got to Corinth. Paul is there around 50 AD. We don't know if Aquila and Priscilla were Christians before they met Paul. They certainly could have been or if they became Christians after meeting Paul. We don't know. The reason that Paul goes to see them in verse 3 says, and because he was a tent maker, as they were, he stayed and worked with them. So he set up shop with them. Remember, we know that Paul worked to to pay his bills. In, In many of the cities he went, we find out that he was working while he was there. In fact, in the letters to the Thessalonians, which Paul actually wrote while he was in Corinth. But in his letters to the Thessalonians, he mentions a couple of times that he did not want to be a hindrance to them while he stayed in Thessalonica. And so he worked to support himself while he was there. So uh, in First Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 9, he says, Surely you remember, brothers and sisters, our toil and hardship. We worked night and day in order not to be a burden to anyone while we preached the gospel of God to you. We were working. We didn't want to be a burden to you. We didn't want to cause financial hardship on anybody. So we worked to pay our bills. And then again in his second letter to the Thessalonians, which he also wrote from Corinth, he says says largely the same thing again. He says, for you know ourselves, you know yourselves how you ought to follow our example. We were not idle when we were with you, nor did we eat anyone's food without paying for it. On the contrary, we worked night and day, laboring and toiling, so that we would not be a burden to you. So Paul worked hard. He was a tent maker. He did his own work to pay his own bills, and then he would preach at any, any opportunity he could get while he traveled from city to city. So he went into the tent making business with Priscilla and Aquila. We don't know if they were Christians before that or if they became Christians through their time with Paul. And then in verse 4 of chapter 18, it says, Every Sabbath he reasoned in the synagogue, trying to persuade 
persuade the Jews and the Greeks. Verse 5. When Silas and Timothy came from Macedonia, okay, that's where we find out. Remember, he had sent them back to Thessalonica, but now they're, they're meeting up in Corinth. And when they got back from Macedonia, it says Paul devoted himself exclusively to preaching, testifying to the Jews that Jesus was the Messiah. So perhaps when Timothy and Silas got there, they, will, they were able to do some of the, some of the money-making labor, whether or not they also did tent-making or if they had another trade that they were able to do so that Paul then could devote himself exclusively to the preaching testifying to the Jews that Jesus was the Messiah. But when they opposed Paul and became abusive, he shook out his clothes in protest and he said to them, your blood be on your own heads. I am innocent of it. From now I will go to the Gentiles. Then Paul left the synagogue and he went next door to the house of Titius Justice a worshiper of God. Okay, I just love that sentence so much. So we don't know how long so far that Paul has been in Corinth, staying with Aquila and Priscilla, and working in the, working in the synagogues on the Sabbath, reasoning with the Jews and the Greeks, but eventually the Jews become too abusive and he needs to move out of the synagogue and go to the Gentiles, preach to the Gentiles instead. And so I love in verse 7 when it says he left the synagogue and went next door. <laughs> I just think it's so funny. He went next door to the house of Titius Justice, a worshiper of God. So he would have been a Greek man who had come to believe in the one true God, the God of the Jews. And he went to his house and they began doing the preaching there. <laughs> next door to the synagogue. I just get such a kick out of that. Verse 8 is even even more of a kick. <laughs> Crispus, the synagogue leader, and his entire household believed in the Lord. And many of the Corinthians who heard Paul believed and were baptized. So they kick him out of the synagogue, but the synagogue leader is like, well, I'm going with you. I believe. I believe. You have shown me, you have proven through the Old Testament that, by the way, the synagogue leader would have memorized the Old Testament. He knew every word of the Old Testament. And as Paul is preaching the Old Testament to show how Jesus is, in fact, the Messiah, that the Messiah had to be crucified and had to be raised from the dead, and it happened exactly as the prophecy says, this synagogue leader who has the Old Testament memorized, I mean, you can just feel his heart coming alive, like the scriptures are open to him in a brand new way, more than he ever could have imagined, and he knows Jesus is the Messiah. And he's like, I'm going with you. He's the leader of the synagogue, and he goes with Paul. And many more of the Corinthians believe, and they were baptized. Verse 9, one night the Lord spoke to Paul in a vision do not be afraid. Keep on speaking. Do not be silent. For I am with you and no one is going to attack you and harm you because I have many people in this city. I think that's so beautiful that the Lord wanted to talk to Paul. So he appeared to Paul and just said, keep on, keep on keeping on. I'm with you. You are not going to get harmed in this city. There are many people in this city who are going to come to faith keep on keeping on. Verse 11, so Paul stayed in Corinth for a year and a half, teaching them the word of God.
While Gallio was the proconsul of Achaia, the Jews of Corinth made a united attack on Paul and brought him to the place of judgment. This man is persuading the people to worship God in ways contrary to the law. Just as Paul was about to speak, Gallio said to them, If you Jews are making a complaint about some misdemeanor or a serious crime, it would be reasonable for me to listen to you. But since this involves questions about words and names and your own law, settle the matter yourselves. I will not be a judge of such things. So he drove them off. And then the crowd turned on Sosthenes, the synagogue leader. Okay, that would be a new synagogue leader. And beat him in front of the proconsul. And Gallio showed no concern whatever. All right, so that is very, very discouraging that they turned and beat Sosthenes when, when Gallio said, Paul is innocent. I'm not going to be concerned about this. One thing that's really interesting, though, is so they're in Corinth right now. And a few years later than this, Paul spends substantial time in the city of Ephesus on his third missionary journey. And while he is in Ephesus on that third journey, so maybe like three or four years after this, he's writing letters to the people in Corinth, to the church in Corinth. And it seems that Sosthenes is part of his letter writing process. So Sosthenes, it could be the same one. So first First Corinthians chapter 1, verse 1. Paul always introduces himself in the first verse of his letters. And he says, Paul, called to be an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God and our brother Sosthenes to the church of God in Corinth. And then he writes this letter. And so it seems that Sosthenes, who just got beaten, he's the current leader of the synagogue while Paul is in Corinth after Crispus has left the synagogue. And... It seems after this that Sosthenes comes to faith in Christ and may even begin traveling with Paul because it seems like he's with Paul when Paul writes the letter to Corinth from Ephesus. It could be a different Sosthenes. It seems like it's probably the same guy, though, because they're writing a letter to Corinth. All right, we're going to wrap up. Verse 18 of chapter 18. Paul stayed on in Corinth for some time. Then he left the brothers and sisters, and he sailed for Syria, accompanied by Priscilla and Aquila. So Priscilla and Aquila now are going to leave Corinth. Now, we don't know why they're going to leave Corinth, except that we do know already that Paul had tried to get to the region of Ephesus earlier on this journey, actually, when we learned that in chapter 16 of Acts in our last episode, Paul had tried to to go kind of like southwest while he was traveling through what is now modern-day Turkey. He had tried to go southwest into the region of Asia. Ephesus was the capital of that province, and, and the Holy Spirit said no. Paul had tried to get to this area. Well, now they're literally going to sail right by the city of Ephesus while Paul is on his way home to take a break, to take a break from missions. And so... It's very likely that Paul said to Priscilla and Aquila, Hey guys, I really want to get to Ephesus. Why don't you come with me? We will drop you off in Ephesus. You can begin the work of preaching the gospel there. I will join you. Because he does, in fact, get to Ephesus on his third journey and spends two to three years there. So... That's a really good guess as to why Priscilla and Aquila left Corinth and they're going to drop them off. 
Before he sailed, he had his hair cut off at Centre because of a vow he had taken. So very likely he had taken a Nazarite vow a while back, maybe at the beginning of his time in Corinth, and a Nazarite vow would be that he doesn't cut his hair. And so when they get to Centre on the port, like before they're going to get in the boat, basically, he has his hair cut. So he took a vow of some kind. Maybe it was a vow. The Lord told him to stay in Corinth. I have many people here. No one's going to attack you. So maybe the Nazarite vow that Paul took was a vow of promising God, yes, I will stay here till you release me, until you make it known to me that I am released. And taking that vow and then a sign of that vow is not cutting his hair. Anyway, he gets his hair cut, <laughs> which probably is a sign that the vow has been fulfilled. God kept the promise and uh, he cuts his hair. Verse 19, they arrived at Ephesus where Paul left Priscilla and Aquila. He himself went into the synagogue and he reasoned with the Jews. When they asked him to spend more time with them, he declined. But as he left, he promised, I will come back if it is God's will. And then he set sail from Ephesus. When he landed at Caesarea, Caesarea Maritime, he went up to Jerusalem and he greeted the church. And then he went down to Antioch. That is the end of his second missionary journey. This missionary journey included 2,700 miles of travel by land, by sea, over mountains, floggings, imprisonments, miraculous freeings from prison. I mean, it's just absolutely packed. It would have lasted for at least two years from about 50 to 52 AD. They may have started in 49 AD right after the, it seems that it starts right after the Jerusalem Council. 2,700 miles of pursuing the gospel, of preaching the gospel step by step by step for no other purpose than to preach the good news of the grace of God, the good news of the grace of God to a world that was hurting and desperate for the hope of the gospel. And then he went home to Antioch in Syria for a time, we don't know how long, before the Lord calls him out again on that third missionary journey where he will make it to Ephesus and he will spend substantial time in Ephesus preaching the gospel while he is there. In closing, I just want to read one more thing from Paul's first letter to the Corinthians. So he's writing this again a few years later from Ephesus. But he writes these beautiful words about his intentions during the time that he was in Corinth, for those 18 months when he was in Corinth. He says, And so it was, brothers and sisters, when I came to you, I did not come with eloquence or human wisdom as I proclaimed to you the testimony about God. For I resolved to know nothing while I was with you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. I came to you in weakness with great fear and trembling. My message and my preaching were not with wise and persuasive words, but with a demonstration of the Spirit's power, so that your faith might not rest on any human wisdom, but on God's power. Paul came there, he says, he came to Corinth in weakness and great fear and trembling. You know, it doesn't seem like Athens went that well. A few people came to believe in Athens. 
he had parted ways with his company. He had sent Silas and Timothy back to Thessalonica. He was concerned and worried about the Thessalonians. And, and he came into Corinth and he says, I was scared, great trembling. I was weak. And I didn't try to be strong. <laughs> I didn't try to come up with a whole bunch of human wisdom or eloquence to have any sort of like false strength to show you. He said, I resolved to know nothing while I was with you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. That's all there is, friends. Jesus Christ and him crucified. He is the gospel. He is the gospel. He is everything. He is the message. Jesus is the hope of the world. Jesus is the hope of the world. Amen and amen. Have a great day. Bye.